0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I am very glad that you are here. I want to talk about this idea of forgiveness, but I want to come at it from another angle. And perhaps the best way to get into it is just asking you a couple of questions. Let's start with this. Have you ever granted forgiveness to someone who has hurt you? Now, I would imagine that all of you have. I trust that every one of you uh, have done that because every one of you have been hurt and And again, in order to live well with each other, we must grant forgiveness to the people who have offended us. And so I trust that you are in that boat of, I've been hurt and I've granted forgiveness to the person who hurt me. But here's another question. I want to go one layer deeper. Did you mean it? When you granted forgiveness, when you said, I forgive you, did you really, really Mean it? I mean, is it possible for someone to say, I forgive you because it is the Christian thing to do? Now, I'm not asking this question with a cynical eye. I'm asking this question because I know from personal experience that there can be times that we can mouth the words, I forgive you, but the heart that mouthed those words was not genuine. We can succumb to what we call Christian-speak to smooth over the situation, but our internal logic says that we have more heart work to do to be right with God and to be right with the person that we supposedly forgave. And so that's what I want to talk about for a few moments with you. And if you want to read a complete transcript of what I'm sharing with you, then go to lifeovercoffee.com and you're looking for this article. It's titled pre-forgiveness is essential before you can genuinely forgive. Did you know that lifeovercoffee.com is a sanctification center? It is a warehouse that is just full of articles that will help you grow in your Christian faith. But more than just helping you, we don't have a what's-in-it-for-me mindset exclusively. No, we want to help others as well. That's why you will see on our mug that it is hope and help for you and for others. And so we want you to take our resources and not just benefit from them, yes, please benefit, but we also want you to share them with other people, and we want you to use them as you are discipling others. There are biblical counselors all over the world that use our resources supplementally. They use them as homework assignments. We put CTAs at the bottom of each of our articles so that folks can work through those call-to-action questions, and so yes, benefit, and also share with others. Now, this particular resource is in a read watch, uh, read, watch, listen format. And so you can read it, which would be great. You can watch the video version or listen to the podcast. And I hope that you will do that because this is something that is common to every one of us. And so let's begin this way. Will you take my little test on genuine forgiveness, not Christian-speak that we can all succumb to, but after you forgave the person, were you able to talk about the hurt in such a way that communicated that you were no longer managed by those hurts, whether you were speaking with God, whether you were rehearsing the thing in your own mind or whether you were talking to the offender or about the offender, were you able to do that in such a way that it communicated that you're no longer managed by the hurts? And that is the little test on genuine forgiveness. And sometimes you will hear that, that when a person talks about the individual who hurt or offended them, you can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in their inflection that they're not truly over what happened to them. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about this idea of pre-forgiveness. And what I mean by pre-forgiveness is preparing your heart. It is getting your heart ready to forgive that person so you can do it Genuinely. Though granting forgiveness can be a better version of how our culture works through their relational uh, problems, granting forgiveness can be no more effective if the forgiveness is not complete a struggle to be genuine with the offender. It doesn't mean that your forgiveness granting was not real, but it could mean that your forgiveness is incomplete if you cannot genuinely let it go. And there's a classic passage of Scripture that that we just read of an individual who truly let it go. And so when he transacted forgiveness, you can sense by his words, you can sense by the text that he was no longer managed by what they did to him. And that is the place that we want to get to because we just don't want to say, I forgive you because it's a better version than whatever it is our culture is doing. No, we want it to be heartfelt. We want our hearts to be transformed so that that forgiveness that we speak, that transaction that we make, that it is truly genuine because our hearts are unburdened by what happened to us. And so we genuinely grant forgiveness to the offenders in our lives. The text I'm speaking of is Genesis 50, 20, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Joseph, is the speaker. He is the offended one, and his brothers are the offenders. Listen to how Joseph talks to them. As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The speaker, Joseph, the son of Jacob, He's talking to his brothers who initially tried to kill him, but they changed their collective minds and sold him to a ragtag group of uh, slave traders. Joseph spent 13 mostly horrible years away from his family while being accused of a crime he did not commit, which landed him in jail. During jail time, he was betrayed by those who could help him. It's hard to understand what happened to Joseph. Any of those incidents during those 13 years would be enough to ruin his thoughts about God and life for the rest of his life. And when we break into the story at Genesis 50, 20, he finally has a chance to let his brothers know what he thought about their transgressions toward him. After 13 astonishing years, Joseph has his first opportunity to face the instigators of his hardships, and his response was forgiveness, but not just Christians speak It was genuine forgiveness because he was ready to transact that forgiveness because he had done the prerequisite heart work, pre-forgiveness. An attitude of forgiveness is what I'm talking about. It is amazing grace. Joseph was ready for the moment. The Lord prepared his heart to grant the long overdue forgiveness to his persecutors. And so what is pre-forgiveness? In this story we don't see the prerequisite heartwork necessary for Joseph to be willing to be gracious, to be genuine, to forgive his offenders, but he had to do business with God before he could do business with his brothers. And missing this essential step in the forgiveness process, it means missing the opportunity to go the distance with someone who needs your forgiveness. This step of pre-forgiveness is crucial because it gives you time to perceive the Lord's thoughts, what He intended for good, as much as His thoughts can be ascertained about what happens to us. We must be reasonably Established, we must reasonably establish a theologically precise understanding of God in our minds while convinced that He is working good in our lives, even if it is in ways that we do not expect or ways that we cannot perceive up to this point in our unique narratives that He is writing in our lives. This process to forgiveness is the prerequisite work of pre-forgiveness. When bad things happen to me, I can only process and accept them correctly after I have gained sovereign clarity on my troubles. Joseph had sovereign clarity. Do you have sovereign clarity on the disappointments in your life? When you review the movie of your life, can you see it with sovereign intentions? Suppose you cannot trust God's good work on your behalf. In that case, you will be a candidate for harboring bitterness and anger, anxiety, discouragement, criticism, resentment, cynicism, and even hate toward those who have hurt you. Not anchored by God's sovereign care of our life will make us like a kite in the wind. This is what James was talking about in chapter 1. A, a double-minded person that we are just tossed about. The Lord must be our anchor point as sin angles to capture us. Let me share with you a, a few ways that Sin tries to snare its prey after someone does a dastardly deed to us. For example, sin can angle this way. Our emotions will enslave us as we continue to dwell on the offending person's actions. Our thoughts can fixate on the hurt and what the person did to us. We struggle to process the nature of our relationship with that person who did something to us. Our attitude toward the offender can ensnare us. And then number five, there is a relational awkwardness between us and the offender. If we don't do the prerequisite heart work, asking God to transform our hearts as to how we think about Him and think about the individual who did whatever to us, Those are five snares that we can find ourselves entrapped in. And then number six, our hearts just swirl in fluctuating desires as we try to gain clarity From the Lord. And so, this idea of pre forgiveness is essential. I think sometimes we can skip over that link in the sequence and we can go from being offended to forgiving the person, but yet our hearts have not been truly transformed. This pre forgiveness linkage here in this sequence. Let me illustrate what I mean by pre forgiveness with our our friends, Biff and Mabel. Mabel's husband committed adultery. It was the most devastating news of her life. It took many months of biblical care among many friends in the context of her local church to help her walk through the crushing anguish of her heart. She called it her nightmare from Hades. When Biff repented, he eventually returned to Mabel to ask for her forgiveness. His forgiveness, his request, was genuine. God changed Biff's heart. He did not know that Mabel had already done business with God like Joseph Mabel was ready to grant forgiveness. You see, when someone sins against another person, there is now an offender and the offended. And the offended is not a a passive participant in this. Even though Mabel did not ask to be part of this, she is now part of it, meaning that she has work to do whether she wants to do it or not. It's not her fault at all, but now she is in the, the entanglement Mabel's brand of forgiveness was more than her Christian duty. It was a God-centered, grace-empowered, gospel-motivated forgiveness. Mabel was like Joseph. When the time came for forgiveness, the hard work of pre-forgiveness was over, and she was willing to grant genuine forgiveness, not Christian-speak, not doing her duty because he's asking her a question. The incredible power of the gospel was working in her heart. Think about this. Mabel had prayed for nearly 15 years that God would complete their marriage. They had sex while they were dating. And though she never felt right about marrying Bill, it seemed like a better option than staying single for the rest of her life. Mabel was lonely. After their marriage, she became lonelier. Because of Biff's ongoing bouts of anger, their three sons rebelled against God. Biff and Mabel were also struggling financially. They professed to be Christians through their church commitment, but that church commitment was nominal at best. In God's autonomous and non-manipulatable time frame, He answered Mabel's 15-year prayer request to fix her marriage. What did he do? He blew it up. God dropped a bomb in the middle of their marriage and blew it to smithereens. It's impossible to adequately describe the devastation on Mabel and the children, especially if you have not lived it. By the way, many of you know I have lived exactly what I am talking about here. I'm sharing these things not as a detached detached influencer on social media. No, I'm sharing these things as one who has walked in these steps that Mabel is walking in. From all perspectives, it made no sense. To find good or to find God in their mess was an incredible leap of of human logic. And as the numbness began to wear off, Mabel began to seek God's thoughts on, on what was happening in her life, what was happening in her marriage, what was going to happen to her family. That was when she came to the story of Joseph Mabel learned that God not only worked in the present, but he planned for the future. Joseph and his family could not know that there would be a famine in the land. Joseph and his family could not know that the sovereign Lord needed someone in Egypt to set up things so that he could preserve the nation of Israel. Joseph could not know at such a macro level. And as you know, God was not just doing this for the nation of Israel or Joseph's family. Sovereign God was doing this because of his promise to Adam in Genesis 3.15 of crushing the serpent's head. Because of his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 verses 1, 2, and 3. And because of his promise that humanity needed a Savior that we see fulfilled in Galatians 4.4. And that Savior would come through Jacob's lineage. The bomb the good Lord dropped on Jacob's family flung Joseph to Egypt. According to God's predetermined plan, he scripted bad things into Joseph's life. Tossed in the crucible of suffering is what Joseph and Mabel believed the Lord was up to with them, which motivated them to give up trying to control their respective narratives while humbly stepping into God's story in the macro. Joseph and Mabel had sovereign clarity. Now, it did not mitigate the pain. It did not alter the dysfunction. It doesn't make things any easier, but it gives them hope, and hope is what they had. And after they had come to that place in their understanding, they were ready to move forward with God's new plans for their lives. The situation became less about what was happening to them and more about what God was doing through them. When you think through your disappointments, are you more aware of and affected by what God is doing or are you more aware of and impacted by who did what to you? Can you humbly let go of the narrative you have been holding Unto and grasp the script of, uh, that God is writing for you. Now, perhaps you can do as Joseph did, as he, as he shared three things with his brothers. What God did was for good. What they did was for evil. And God's good will triumph over their evil. Therefore, he could forgive his brothers for what they did to him. The question for us is what controls our heart? What God allowed or what the offender did? Where do you put the accent mark? On the good of God or the evil of the person? Now, how you answer the questions that I've been asking here will determine the depth and the quality of your forgiveness. If you cannot get to where Joseph was, then you cannot release those who have sinned against you. One of the ways that you can check your heart regarding your forgiveness of others for what they did to you is by how you think about what they did to you and how you talk about what they did to you. Proper thinking about personal suffering is where the gospel must have a more incredible grip on us than what others have done to us, One of the ways that we can practicalize the gospel is how we perceive the offenses of others in the light of our transgressions against the Lord. The cross of Christ has a way of downsizing the violations of others by giving me a proper perspective on my actions against God. If the same gospel that saved my soul cannot overcome the disappointment of others, the gospelization of my heart is not yet complete. Forgiveness flows out of a softened heart. The longer you stand before the Holy Lord that you offended, the better it will go for you when you stand before the one who offended you. If you have done this well, then you are in an excellent place to forgive the person who hurt you. The power of the gospel makes forgiveness real and practical. Forgiveness is typically not the most challenging aspect if you have wrestled through pre-forgiveness, as I have been outlining here with the story of Joseph and, and also Mabel, who has been praying for 15 years that God would fix her marriage, as he is now doing by dropping a bomb in their marriage and blowing it to smithereens. Note how Joseph was ready to forgive his brothers. He had 13 years to figure this out with the Lord. Now, I am not suggesting That you need 13 years to figure it out. But you must understand this concept. No matter how long it takes, if you do not do the hard work of pre forgiveness, getting yourself ready to forgive the other person, it will not be as difficult when the time comes for forgiveness. However, if it is hard, To forgive the other person, then you must spend more time before the Lord because some residual anger toward God and and toward others is likely operating in your heart, and that has not been resolved, vanquished, settled. We are all sovereignists. Whether we consciously think about it or not, we all know a God ultimately controls everything. Therefore, if you cannot forgive others for what happened to you, you must resolve the underlying issue between you and God first. Once you have sovereign clarity and can freely forgive the person who hurt you, you'll be able to go beyond the hurt by genuinely reconciling with the offender. Freedom to forgive is the best part, but it gets better. Let me explain. When Lucia and I make up in the way that I have described here, there's an offender and the offended. There is transactional forgiveness. Then we begin discussing the sin that separated us. The evil that enslaved us is now serving us. The sin becomes a practical working illustration that we can talk about so that we can grow and mature to the point to where we reduce the amount of future sinning against each other. Is taking sin and flipping it on its head and it's using sin sinlessly because we have genuinely forgiven each other. We have transacted. We have reconciled. Now we can use the sin event as an illustration, as a a talking point so that we don't sin against each other in the future. It should not be difficult to speak of sin if the power of the gospel has neutralized it, thus killing it is vital because revisiting our past sins in non-punitive ways is essential to learn from our mistakes. I've titled this, Pre-Forgiveness is Essential Before You Can Genuinely Forgive Another Person. And so here is the biblical linkage to maturity in your meaningful meaningful relationships. There are four steps here. I want to walk through them for clarity's sake. Step number one. Let's, let's imagine that sin has already happened. You have sinned against someone, or someone has sinned against you. There is a, an offender and there is the offended. And so here are the four sequential steps. Number one, can't bypass this pre-forgiveness. When you allow God to adjust your heart so you can forgive, you are now ready to forgive. You are waiting on them to come and ask that question. Pre-forgiveness. Number two, forgiveness. When you genuinely grant forgiveness to someone who has hurt you. Number three, reconciling. When you grant forgiveness, you are reconciled. When sin no longer separates you from the other person, that is reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you're going to have an ongoing relationship with that person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that you are reconciled whether you ever see that person again, ever again. You are reconciled. And so here's the linkage, pre-forgiveness, the prerequisite heart work that the offended has to go through in order to get to point number two, which is forgiveness. When you grant forgiveness to that person who is genuinely asking for it, now you are automatically reconciled with that person because there is no more sin between you and them. And then number four, maturing in the relationship. Now, this is for when you have an ongoing relationship with a person like, say, Lucia and and me, when you neutralize the sin so that you can discuss it with the hope that you don't do it again. Just as Joseph could talk to his brothers in a non-punitive way about what they did to him, you should be able to have similar discussions with your friends who sin against you. God answered Mabel's prayer by blowing up her marriage and she had enough sovereign clarity to accept and to respond to her marital disappointment. That was seven years ago. The God-glorifying marriage that she and Biff have today has swallowed up those dark days transforming them into a, a gospel tape, tapestry. Though she was the one who was offended, she had a significant role to play in the restoration of her marriage. And it began with the preparatory work. In her heart, she was ready to forgive. I have titled this Pre-Forgiveness, is essential before you can genuinely forgive. I have three questions for you, but I do want you to know uh, that you can find what I just shared with you on our website at lifeovercoffee.com. It is in a read, watch, listen format. I want you to uh, benefit personally for you, but I also want you to offer hope and help to others too. And so please share this resource with them. Uh, It would be an excellent discussion in a small group. This will be a great discipleship tool. Uh, And then at the end, as I say with all of our articles, we have a CTA. And so let's step into the call to action. Question number one, has someone sinned against you? Well, of course they have. What did they do What was it? What was the offense? And then what do you believe God intends to bring glory to himself and restoration of the offender with you? What is God's mind? I'm asking you to step into trying to wrestle with and understand sovereign clarity as you think about what has happened to you. We have to have sovereign clarity. You see that implied in the text in Genesis 50. Joseph had sovereign clarity. I am not saying that he understood the full scope of the gospel from Genesis 3.15 to Galatians 4.4 that he saw God working this narrative of bringing a Savior into the world, but he had enough clarity to know that on the micro level that he was was flung into Egypt to uh, preserve the nation of Israel, which he did. Has someone sinned against you? What did they do? What do you believe God intends to bring glory to himself and restoration to you uh, with the offender? Number two, Are you able to forgive if they were to ask you for forgiveness? Are you ready? If not, then you want to think through and you want to apply what you have have heard here so that you can prepare your heart to forgive either, either attitudinally or transactionally. Now, I have been talking about transactional forgiveness when The offender comes to you and asks you to forgive you. When Biff comes to Mabel and asks Mabel to forgive him, that is transactional forgiveness. That is the ultimate goal with all offenses. But as you know, there will be times when uh, you will not be able to transact because the person is not asking. Maybe the person is rebelling against God. Maybe the person has passed away. They're no longer living. They they cannot transact forgiveness with you, but you can still forgive them attitudinally. Again, attitudinal forgiveness, a heart of forgiveness, is not releasing them from anything, but it's releasing you from everything. And so you have to do the prerequisite work either to forgive them Attitudinally create any heart of forgiveness so that you're not enslaved, captivated by what they did, or transactional forgiveness when they actually come to you so that you can do it transactionally. Finally, question number three, if you are ready to humbly forgive, whether they ask you to forgive them or not, then you are free from their sin. There will be some situations where the offender does not seek forgiveness, but that should not hinder you from having a heart of forgiveness freeing you from the offenses, whether they are ever free, whether or not they are ever free. And so the question is number three, are you free from all offenses that have been perpetrated against you? And how you talk about what happened to you, how you think about what happened to you will be Uh, the clue, that will be the indicator that will help you. And if you're still unsure, then I would encourage you to share this content, this resource uh, with a trusted friend who has a biblical fluency. They understand the Bible. They are competent in practically applying the scriptures and that you talk to them, ask them, hey, would you read this with me? Watch, listen. And then I want to discuss it. And I want you to tell me, do you believe that I am? I'm free from a particular offense in my life or all offenses in my life and have that discussion with a friend. Pre-forgiveness, it is essential before you can genuinely forgive. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.